Welcome to Mac and Blue, the cutting-edge podcast for the nation's builders, merging the realms of construction with exciting advancements in technology. Join us on a thrilling journey where we delve into the dynamic world of blockchain, AI, the metaverse, virtual and augmented reality, and their transformative impact on the industry. Our engaging discussions span a wide spectrum, covering not only construction, economic development, supply chain, and market segments, but also exploring the vibrant tapestry of diversity within the construction landscape. We shed light on the intersection of local politics and its profound influence on the construction sector, while championing the remarkable contributions of women and minorities in construction. For all things Mac and Blue, head to www.macandblue.com, and don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. I'm your host, JJ Levinsky. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mac and Blue. I'm your host, JJ Levinsky, CEO and co-founder of Blue Wave. Um, honored and uh, kind of humbled to have Heath Melton on as our guest today um, to give the pedigree. He's the president of the Phoenix region of the Howard Hughes Corporation, and they're doing the development called Terravallis, which we'll get into, I'm sure, a ton. Um, for the, the those of you who are uh, novices or neophytes over there, it's like probably the biggest, I think, master plan community that Arizona or the West has ever seen. So we'll get into a little bit of, uh, of that. But... Um, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say uh, welcome, Heath, and uh, list, like to get a little, like to get to know you and the audience a little bit about your past. Um, I kind of, not to be weird, but I kind of have an affinity for anyone that was in the military because yeah. my son is, and so um, you're a, are you a native? I think you grew up here. Yeah, I am. Actually, I grew up in Sedona, Arizona, oh my God. which is even less common than being an Arizona. Native. So you were grown because you had all the vortexes <laughs> around right. you with you as a child. All that energy and power just coming right in. So you went to West Point. So I did. you, you uh, apparently made it through the eighth grade in fine fashion. <laughs> maybe even graduated. Maybe summa cum laude. But right, I don't know. How I found my way to West Point. But uh, what's I did. This, what I is did. the story? Yeah, actually, you know, I didn't. I didn't have a strong affinity with going to a military academy. Really, I did have military in my family. My father was a Marine Corps. He didn't serve like a long period of time in the Marine Corps. But we have that background. Some of our grandfathers were also in the military. Um, for me, my path was really sports. Uh, oh, so I played football. Yeah. Big, big baseball player, but ended up going the football route. Got recruited by several colleges for football, and uh, West Point and the Army ended up being one of them. So did you actually play at Army then? I did. I played my first couple years up there, and yeah. then I uh, decided once I started going into my junior year, maybe I want to focus on academics a little bit but more. But you didn't, it wasn't the proverbial blow at the knee or, no, the, no. or the concussions? Yeah, just figured, you know, kind of put my time and energy where I needed it to be. Everything up at the academy is based off class rank, right? right? So I probably need to spend more time hitting the books than hitting the weights. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, a, was it a cool experience, though? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. You know, comp- I don't have the typical college experience to, right. to really compare it to. Um, obviously, your first couple years out there you just grind aren't, aren't it. fun, yeah. right? Yeah. Kind of getting beat down your freshman year. We call it plebe year. Yeah. Sophomore year is probably the toughest academic year up at the academy. And then after that, you know, you kind of fall, into, kinda your fall into your groove. Well, you either, your major. either you're, you're out or you're in, right, right at that yeah. point? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then what did you uh, – six-year commitment afterwards, right? So for us, it's five years. Oh, it is five, yeah, sorry. unless you go aviation, it's seven years. And what did – so where were you – what was your um, assignment, if yeah. you will? so we call it MOS or military service um, specialty. Um, so I, I really focused on two things early on. I was either going to go aviation mm-hmm. or uh, ended up going field artillery. And so oh, cool. back you when you were that age, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's my joke all the time is I went from blowing up land to developing land. Yeah, so it's – you know, it's kind of the opposite. The paradox the and the, yeah. it brings it all back together. Right, right. So then when you got when you got out, how did you get into this line of work? Yeah, I mean, so, well, first, just talk a little bit about my military career. Yeah. You know, I spent a little over five years in the Army, so that was great. I enjoyed serving our country. Great experience. You know, I got married shortly after graduating from the academy. Uh, had a family early, both my kids and my daughter's uh a rising senior in college my son's a rising sophomore so my wife and i are kind of going into that empty nester stage which is kind of cool um definitely some changes there yeah um but yeah got to serve for five years in the military you know our wartime operations at our deployments were pretty pretty high op tempo at that time so now were you in during either the iraq or afghanistan yeah. so yeah. You, you were over there then yeah so yeah. my my first deployment was the kosovo i was the third rotation oh, of the wow. kosovo spent about seven months in country over there came home for about a year and then we kicked off the war in Iraq, and I was uh, with the 3rd Infantry Division out of uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia. Georgia, uh, okay. Yeah, so we were the first ones to kind of go into country. Uh, we landed in Kuwait. We staged at the border and waited for the president to give orders, and then we pushed in. So, yeah, mm. whole, whole different experience. Well, thank you for serving. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, okay, so now <laughs> now I go. What was the <laughs> transition? <laughs> yeah, so that transition, uh, coming out of the military, you know, I'd, 
I kind of decided not not super early, but early that that might be a path for me. Mm-hmm. If I always told my wife if I made it past ten years, that I'd, I'd stay in the army and make it a career. Um, but just being deployed so much and having a family was tough. So I started my last year of that five years, really focused on what does that transition look like. And uh, I worked with a few headhunting firms that are out there that specialize in junior military officers, and got linked up with them and. During some of that interviewing process, one of the companies I interviewed with was a real estate company. Um, so I started in the Houston market oh. uh, with KB Home. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah. So I started with KB. Uh, kind of my hiring manager was an ex, ex, ExxonMobil executive, mm. and so he put me on a rotation. So I started in land development, land acquisition, and then I moved into sales and finance. So I really had mar- sales and marketing, and then uh, I even ran the design center. So, so you... Okay, so if I can connect the dots, A, it sounded like you had a very structured and good mentoring program. Yeah. And then B, with your, not to patronize you, but with your military background, you were able to transition into that pretty easily. If it was that regimented, it was a good fit for you, and you just then doubled down on yourself, it kind of sounds like. Yeah, the stars all aligned, and, you know, it's just uh, how much time and effort you want to put into learning a craft. Or, and uh, I was devoted, and uh, I think I was able to prove that I could rise to the occasion and anything they threw my way. No, not to be presumptuous, but then if I connect the dots here, I, I take KB was in the woodlands, and that's how the the, <coughs> hum, the HH thing. Yeah, well, so actually, I mean, it's, it was a little bit more of a different path than that. Okay, so I started with KB Home, uh, spent uh, about three three and a half years with KB. Okay, uh, two of my West Point classmates were in the Houston market. Uh, they were with another company called Suba. Core business was multifamily, kind of smaller, just regional okay. uh, developer. Yeah, I don't recognize the name. Yeah, core business was multifamily. They also had and a they were just family. in Texas, just just Houston. Oh, just Houston. Just oh Houston. wow. So you really yeah. centralized. So um, they asked if I wanted to come over there. So I ran the, the land development side and the residential home building side for Suba, um, and that was a great experience for me. So I spent some about five years with Suba. And then, uh, you know, that, that military and West Point connection. Uh, had another West Point classmate in Austin, Texas. Uh, Taylor Morrison was looking for somebody. They had just acquired uh, a few thousand acres in Austin. They needed a general manager to come over there and run that. So he gave my information to another West Point grad, a 93 grad. Because they started sounding session And with. said, hey, yeah, that's right. <laughs> said, why don't you call Heath? So they called me. Uh, so I, I joined that Taylor Morrison team in Austin and kicked off uh, a master plan community in Austin with Taylor Morrison. Oh. And then and there, Howard Hughes reached out to me. Got so, it. Yeah. Okay. So like I said, I, yeah. I said, I didn't mean to be presumptuous, but... The only reason I said that is it seems like everyone knows the Woodlands, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just because it wasn't that the biggest at the time, the Woodlands? Yeah, it's one of the premier master plan communities in the nation. And if you look at the invention of master plan communities, um, Columbia, Maryland was the first one. Okay. It was created by the Rouse Corporation, and we own the balance of downtown Columbia now. The Howard Hughes Corporation does. The Woodlands was the second So you still have all that on – that's in your asset class. We do. We still have the Woodlands. uh, So – you know, coming up in the Houston market, uh, there was some premier developers that you always kind of respected and wanted to be like. The Woodlands was always one of them. Mm. Mm-hmm. So then, um, how did you how did you get to Arizona? <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've ran our three kind of the residential master plan community side of our business in the Houston market. Uh, so I had oversight of the Woodlands, uh, twenty eight thousand five hundred acre master plan community. We'll celebrate our fiftieth year next year. Um, Bridgeland, which is another eleven thousand five hundred acres. We're in our 16th year of that development. And then a small one for us, the Woodlands Hills, was 2,000 acres. So we had acquired that property right before I joined the Howard Hughes Corporation. Okay. And so I had oversight of all three of those. Oh, wow. It's mm-hmm. a hell of a... Yeah, it was, it was you, good. You, there was no... like It was like, like this <laughs> for you, right? The vertical curve even got steeper. Now, you you have... And correct me if I'm wrong, just because I... You know, with all the guests, I don't, I don't always get all the facts right. But you have Summerlin up in Vegas too, we do. right? We right, do. and that's a pretty popular that's, one yeah, too. Yeah, it's uh, top. It's been the top four or five in the nation, top selling master plan communities for the last decade. Okay, yeah, and the Woodlands topped the list for many, many years. All right, so that was fast and accelerated. Thanks, yeah. Keith, for just because everyone get, they like to know who you are. Right, and I think yeah. that just speaks uh, volumes about kind of how fast you went through and the trajectory of things. But now. The spotlight's on on you, your company here in the West Side, um, and f- for the audience' sake, whether they're listening or watching, can you go back and give the history of what um, what this property, how it started, and how, how the transformation came over to where now it's you and and Howard Hughes? Yeah, so I kind of tell a little bit um, how I got involved in this okay. property. So 
we're always looking in the market for new properties and that's nationwide uh, when it comes to look for new master plan communities being in the woodlands market we had probably the most experience within our within our team there versus our other teams throughout the portfolio so new acquisition opportunities always always came through our office um we started looking in the arizona market back in 2021 and um the previous owners of the property so there's jerry colangelo jdm partners they owned the 34,000 acre douglas ranch piece formerly known as and then eldorado holdings owned oh, yes. 3,000 acres which was formerly trillium and those two forces combined uh, probably about a decade ago and they created one joint venture and combined the 34 plus the three for 37,000 acres yeah yeah size of connecticut yeah small little property <laughs> i mean if you put that in perspective when we build out this community, it's 37,000 acres. It's entitled for 100,000 rooftops. And if you do three per household, that's 300,000 people. So the city of Scottsdale has 286,000 people roughly living good in math. it today, uh, or the size of Irvine, California. So that's good so comparatives. Are, so you guys are contributing to the X percent of, of the Phoenix Metro's overall growth. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, I know numbers don't say anything, everything, but it's, uh, that's no small task. Yeah, it's definitely sizable. And if you believe a pro forma, you know, we performed it for decades. It's 50 right. plus years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. So then I'm sure you can't talk about all the details, but what, what was the catalyst for the transaction? Like I'm surprised for those of the, for the, again, the audience sake, why was the, why was this agreement or why was this deal ever consummated in the first place? Did they want out? Did you guys want in? You know, what was the back and forth that you can talk about? If there's yeah. proprietary stuff, don't share it. But you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Everyone kind of wants to know that story. Right. Well, I think I think there's a couple different things that came together. Okay. One, as the uh, the previous owners went out and explored master plan communities, they had the opportunity to go and tour the woodlands. They toured Summerlin, and in their own words, they thought those are some of the best master plan communities they've ever seen developed. So you'd want them over at so, that point. Yeah, so they figured, you know, we're pretty good at what we do. <laughs> and so as they heard They're we not were, on double secret probation <laughs> that's anymore. <laughs> that's right. As they heard we were looking in the market, obviously that kind of uh, got their attention. Hmm. We we're looking in the Arizona market. And we when we look for properties, you know, I talked about the 2,000 acres. That's a small property for us because we're looking for generational growth. Right. We don't want projects that are only three to five years. We want decades. And uh, the, th the other thing that kind of separates us from other developers is we're fully vertically integrated oh. so the only thing we don't do is build single-family houses so we'll develop the lots so we'll sell those to home builders but when it comes to the commercial property uh, we'll develop our own multifamily. Uh, we got into the single family for rent uh, asset class office hospitality um, even in this market we'll get in the light industrial and uh, logistics market as well so we are long-term owners and we're focused on long-term value creation and net operating income versus just a one-off sale. Right. So that's how, that's what separates us so a little So that's bit. a strong performer then if you run that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No wonder you're smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> all right, what, um, what's the history and the story about the name change and all that, yeah. if you don't mind? Yeah, so formerly known as Douglas Ranch and Trillium and, and not to um, throw shade on anybody, no. um, but you know, was we did some research about Douglas Ranch we couldn't find anywhere what was owned by a Douglas family. Was it ever an operating ranch? So everything we do. So what is the story? <laughs> we couldn't find out. This is made up. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't find out how it got the name Douglas Ranch. Um, and just asked our owners who've owned it for 20 years. They didn't actually have the background to it either. Um, by some old water, yeah. you know, like got bulldozed it or the <laughs> desert swallowed it up. Yeah, something along those lines. And then Trillium, the 3,000 acre piece, as I did some research with my team, uh, Trillium is actually a flower that's found in the mountains in canada so none of that which we They're have not in the desert to Arizona. <laughs> yeah. so we're, none of that ties back to the land we're right? off just a little bit yeah. so everything we like to do we like to tie it back to a story or tie it back to the land in some form or fashion so as we really started to look at one arizona being a native here i grew up here there's always a big focus on the beautiful sunset skies the starry night skies and the land we live in a beautiful Sonoran desert uh, that's much different than other deserts. Yeah. If you look at the flora and fauna here that comes to life, it's amazing. So we, we spent some time, we sent a film crew out there just to study it. They were out there from sunup to sundown, took a lot of images, a lot of photos. And then it's just that place of, you know, that sense of place. Mm -hmm. uh, so this 37,000 acre property is pretty vast. It's about 12 miles across between the White Tank and the Belmont Mountain Ranges. So if you think about that, we truly do reside within a valley. Uh, so we came up with the name Terra Vallis. Uh, the Latin word is terra, land, and vallis, meaning valley. Yeah. So we truly are the land of the valley. 
Um, and then on, we changed the name of our first village because we developed a community. We do it in a village by village concept. Oh. So the first 3,000 acres will be our first village. That was formerly Trillium. Uh, we're going to call that Floreo. Again, another Latin derivative, meaning blooming or blossoming. So it ties back to the Sonoran Desert with all the beautiful blooms and blossoms that come to life. And it'll be the first bloom of our community of Terravallis. Nice. Yeah. All right, I got a million questions. So let's just go off on all the tangents. Sure. Okay. Um, first of all, entitlement and all the crazy yeah. municipality stuff or the, the governing agencies. Where are you at? What struggles have you had? Where is it going? I mean, and I, and let me dovetail. I believe the I-11 is going to eventually sure. go, go through and tie into this. Can you, without spending the whole hour, can you talk <laughs> about a little of that? Yeah, I can hit on a few of those. <clears throat> so some of the beauties of the acquisition of the property. Mm-hmm. Um what we say was fully entitled. So there's development agreements in place with the wow, city. Of I, did, I knew they had already. done some, but I didn't realize it was that yeah. developed. And that's my own naivety, right. so I apologize. So that's that's good, right? Okay. It gives us what we'd say relatively shovel-ready, so we can move forward without having to go through that long-term negotiation process of putting... But how many governing agencies were in, are or touching... Because it's got to be more than just one municipality. Yeah. It's got to be some state, some county, right. some... It was there, is there any native... Uh, so there's not. So that's okay. that's another thing. So just from uh, an entitlement process with a developer development agreement, that's 100% of the city of Buckeye. So again, 20 plus years ago, when they went through that process, the whole property was annexed into the city of Buckeye. That, and that was 20 years ago? 20 years, yeah. And everyone was like, hey, that's up, damn. <laughs> yeah, that's, they used to say, we're off the Sun Valley Parkway. <laughs> they used to say that was the road to nowhere. Now we say it's the road to new beginnings. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we just, we're just dealing with the city of Buckeye from that standpoint. Okay. We do have to deal with Maricopa County. Obviously, we have to deal with, with ADOT. Uh, or, yeah, ADOT. And we'll have to deal with um, Montgomery County or Maricopa County. County yep. Yes. And, of course, the state in some form or fashion. Now, there has been, um, you know, for a lot of us in the biz, it seems like there's been, I believe, just in the last few weeks, a lot of buzz about the I-11 again. Yeah. Like, where, all right, where are you guys at, either at the federal or state level? Um, do you have any insight that you can share that isn't secretive? Yeah, I mean, I think all the information is that regards to I-11 is out there for anybody that okay. wants to see it. Um, they have gone through their Tier 1 and Tier 2 analysis now. Uh, the Tier 2 analysis really starts to tie down the exact right-of-way of uh, Interstate 11. So okay. that, that will come through our property. There's no doubt that the path is coming through our property, Got so it. that's great. But could it, it could be 10 years, right? Yeah, it can take a while. I mean, they're they're just now kicking off that next okay. part. So. so in the timing of everything, Thing. Again, for audience sake, mm-hmm. if if that's let's just use it as argumentative. If that's ten years, how where are you guys in your time continuum? How many phases of Terravallis will be done by the time that kind of gets you know to fulfillment? Is there any kind of can yeah. you kind of help visualize that right. through words? <laughs> yeah. So if you think about the property and again, just picture the White Tank Mountains. Right. On the other side of the White Tanks is Verado. Most people know where Verado yeah. is at. On the west side of the mountains is going to be us. Um, so the Sun Valley Parkway that has direct access to our property. So that's our starting point. Got We're going to start from Sun Valley Parkway, and that first three thousand acres will develop all that, and then move to the west. The west. Got and, it. and if you think about some other landmarks, the Hacienda River, yeah, or the Dry Riverbed. So that runs through our property. So everything to the east of the Hacienda will develop over the course of the next seven to ten years, and then we'll get on the other side of the Hacienda, and that'll get us into that part of the property. Where Interstate 11 really starts to impact us, if it's 10 years down the road, perfect timing for us. Got it. And so we truly think it's going to be in so actually the timing's almost years. perfect. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll work out really yeah. well. The other major infrastructure piece that comes through there, um, if you look at kind of the MAG uh, long-term planning as far as major roadways, the future 505 will also mm. come through our property. So yeah, it's a pretty good synergy. Um, okay, you know. You guys, I'm sure you get asked this question a million times, but I wouldn't be doing my host job if I didn't say, new development, this big, that many people, all these things. What are you doing for water conservation and all the sustainability uh, factors moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, great question. If you look back at the history of our company, that's always been a keen focus for us. If you look at the woodlands, for example, we developed the woodlands in a wooden environment. Mm-hmm. One of the big things or ideas behind the woodlands was developing a city within the forest. Mm-hmm. So that long-term preservation of the forest is something that has been paramount for our company. And it'll be paramount for us in everything that we do. 
Um, if you look at Summerlin that we talked about earlier, Summerlin's 23,500-acre master plan community going into its 40th year of development. Uh, it's been awarded uh, by the state of Nevada and by the city of Las Vegas for water conservation strategies. Obviously, that's a water-stressed environment. We've done a lot of things to, to help conserve water within that market, even things like going back and doing retrofits. So we went back and pulled out a lot of landscaping that was not very drought tolerant, but kind of in vogue at the time. A lot of turf that was pulled out um, and reduced water consumption for the residents, for the homeowner association, for the entire state by doing that. Interesting. So that's going to be a huge focus for us, obviously, coming to the state of Arizona from a water conservation standpoint, making sure that we're embracing technology in every form and fashion, both what we do on the exterior of the homes and the interior of the homes. So when we look at, we can't really talk about the programs yet because we're getting ready to roll it out. But what we're going to target from water conservation just from household use is probably in that 20 to 30% range mm. off of the baseline, right? And then from the exterior, um, just making sure that we do on the exterior of the homes from landscaping. So making sure that everything that gets planted on the residential setting or the commercial setting or within the common spaces of the, of the uh, community, all that's very drought tolerant uh, plant material. And we're actually going to use the Arizona Department of Water Resources approved plant list as our guideline just to make sure that we're always kind of hitting that desired goal of reducing water. All of the irrigation is going to be drip irrigation. You know, we'll, we'll allow turf and parks and a few areas like that. But we're definitely going to reduce the amount of turf that's allowed in the residential or commercial settings because that's where a big component of your water gets used. And then from new technology, obviously, on how do we reuse water? Uh, so we'll do that by building kind of the latest and greatest water reclamation plants. So as that gray water gets processed at the water reclamation plant, that gives us an opportunity to reuse that. And we'll reuse that like irrigating common spaces yep. so that water gets reused there. We'll, we'll reuse some of that water to recharge the aquifers down below our property. There comes a time when dreams become a reality, when you see your vision materialize into a true work of art. And the only way to get there is to choose a general contractor who shares that same vision and knows how to bring it to life. At Blue Wave, we aren't so big that we've forgotten where we've come from, and we aren't so small that we can't care for your projects regardless of their size. When your vision deserves safety, perfection, timeliness, and expertise in order to become a reality, trust Blue Wave to get it done right the first time. Um, again, I'm just going to go as tangential as I want here because I can. I'm the host. Um, back to more of the mixed use part. So let's yeah. go back to like the commercial, industrial, mm -hmm. educational, all that kind of yeah. stuff. You take that big 30, you know, what was it, 37,000 acres. Uh, what's it going to look like um, in the build out of more of that schools, parks, common type thing? And are you going to, uh, you know, as a developer, I'm sure you, you get dinged on this all the time. We don't want just a vehicle-centric yeah. community. We want more pedestrian. You've seen all all these master plan communities and all these in vogue, you know, downtown type things. What can you speak to that, Heath? Yeah. So again, if you look at the history of our properties, um, we like to focus on dedication of, of open green space. Okay. Uh, so at least twenty percent of the property will be dedicated towards that. Twenty percent total. Yeah. Twenty percent. Okay. So when we say open space, that's inclusive of kind of natural natural trail systems that mm -hmm. run through the property parks, many centers, you name it, all that becomes part of that 20%. And you, and you touched on it, JJ, when we look at uh, mobility, we don't just think about vehicular traffic that moves through our community. Obviously, that's a big, a big point, but we want to make sure that we can get our residents from point A to point B or from their homes uh, to places of interest in the safest, most meaningful way that we can. And then also, we just want to make sure that they get exposed to nature. You know, there's so many studies out there that show that people's lives and their overall happiness and their well-being is influenced by their ability to connect with nature. So we build that into our planning and everything that we do. Um, in this property, of course, we're right, ne right next door to the White Tanks right. Mountains, the Belmont Mountain Range. And we're working with the White Tank uh, Conservancy on how do we make sure that as we develop this property that we allow wildlife uh, passage or wildlife corridors to get to those mountains so they stay as living mountains and they don't become an island where you don't allow yeah. large mammals or medium-sized mammals to get to and from those areas so that's gonna be important 
Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I'm, I'm not here to be left or right. I'm, right. You know, my, my job is just to ask questions. But do you envision, speaking of that, I see a lot of uh, now, especially with, if you call it that arterial, you know, freeway with the 11 or the 505, do you envision that they'll have those, you know, those passovers? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, For wildlife, the wildlife, wildlife pass, yeah. Yeah, wildlife crossovers. So that's important as we talk about how do we work with key stakeholders within the region. Outside of the city of Buckeye, we have to work with the county. We have to work with the state. We have to work with ADOT. So we've already started some of those preliminary conversations as working with the White Tank Mountain Conservancy. Like, if we really want this vision to come to fruition, who are all the key stakeholders? How do we think about that planning early? And uh, that's where you have to get landowners like ourselves to one, believe in the vision, support the vision. And then we have to work with the local municipalities and agencies to make sure that if we're, if we're bought into it and we're sold on it, how do we make sure that those barriers, yeah. things like Interstate 11 or the 505 or even some of the roadways can accommodate the wildlife to get to and from those two mountain ranges? You mentioned the, the, the trails and like that whole thing. I'm interested to, so when you guys take that on, will that be, part of your your holding and management company or will that be deeded back to like the maricopa county parks and rec like how does that all get yes you do a lot of the upfront development but how does that get divvied up in, in the long term i'm just curious yeah so i mean it depends on on how we work with different agencies okay. so there's obviously as we build these communities there's homeowners associations that are that are created there's True. commercial associations that are created so some of that park maintenance um, and trail maintenance falls on the association. If we're doing longer or bigger plays for land and we can partner with conservancies, we can partner with the county, we can partner with the state, there could be an opportunity for that land to be dedicated to the state. And then there's a, for lack of a better term, a, a joint venture from a maintenance standpoint. So yeah, maybe sense. the HOA picks up part of it, maybe the state picks up part of it or whoever that entity is. Right. No, good, good. Um, all right, next tangent. Uh, Builders, you said you are you guys are unique in that you'll do everything yeah. but the single family. All right. Um, do you already have agreements with certain builders that you can disclose, or what is the magic number? And I realize it can all ebb and flow with the changes right. of mergers, acquisitions, and everything like that. But what is the? You guys are this. You know, you're not neophytes in this. What is what is the right mix of uh, builders? You know, is it ten different ones with different demographics? Uh, just kind of let the audience know what does that look like? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk quickly about our planning process. Okay. We do a lot of in-depth study of the market and really trying to understand what consumers that we want to target out of the gate. So as we look at that, we, we call it product segmentation. Okay. So we look at the different products that we want to offer. Um, so we'll target a price band, say, from kind of the mid-300s to the mid-600s. Uh, so within that, we'll develop five to six different product types. Hmm. Um, and then we start to target builders. Uh, so within those five to six different product types, we might have one builder that builds on it. We might have two builders that build on them. And we generally don't go, go beyond two builders depending on what is the overall absorption of the, of the market. Okay. Um, we have the benefit of working with a lot of the builders because we have the presence in Houston. We have the presence in, in Summerlin, you Las know Vegas. The players, yeah. So we know a lot of the key players. And we like to take a very partnered approach. So if you're a partner with us in one of those communities, we want to give you the first shot to partner us in Terravallis. Uh, so we're starting that process right now. Um, is that purely transactional, or do you guys actually make an equity play as well? No, it's, it's purely transactional okay. for that one. I mean, just because yeah. you know, you're selling the pad-ready pad right. pad yeah, sites. I get yeah, it. We sell it to the builder. We let them go vertical. <laughs> yeah. um, but we do, we do have a lot of control. We want to okay. make sure that we control the overall quality and character and, and the timing that that land takes place. So from a quality standpoint, we have design guidelines that really break it out by the different, I'll say, lot sizes yeah. and the square footages that you can build on each one of those lot sizes. And then the architectural, uh, we have different architectural styles that will kind of guide the builders to build to. Can, um, can we take a tangent there? Yeah. I keep using that Absolutely. word. But, you know, one of the big things that we keep getting, uh, I think, in our industry, Heath, is that, uh, you know, and without scorning our, our predecessors, yeah. let's be honest, we have a myopic uh, development look here in Arizona. Right. It's tan, it's stucco, <laughs> and it's brown, right? I'm glad you're saying that. Um, but there's been a lot of studies done that, yeah. A, that diminishes the asset class. Um, our life cycles on our buildings suck. You know, I could go on and on and right. on. And there's, you know, that seems like there's a trend and a, a kind of a movement to kind of get back to diversity. Yeah. Um, you look, look at the European model, look at the cities out east of the, the value the re and the retained value of those assets if they're not all br brown and same looking. Right. 
is I assume that's a very conscientious effort by you guys to make sure that on a DRB or all these kind of things that we have some diversity to help kind of, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I just curious, like how, how does your organization look at that holistically? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we definitely want to break the mold. And uh, as you touched on, when you drive throughout the market, you see a lot of the same, right? You'll see Santa or that Fe. Pink, or yeah. that pink faded look. <laughs> yeah, so those are things that we're going to focus on in architecture and understanding what does the consumer want today, consumer sentiment, and also looking at product diversity. Because one way to preserve value is to make sure that you have that diversity. So you're not just buying a house down the street that looks like the house down the street 10 years from now, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's one thing that we'll drive. The other thing that, you, that we all know, the only the only constant in life is change. Yeah. And if you're not willing to change with the market, then you're going to get left behind. And we're not going to drive the same sense of value. So we we often do market studies. Uh, we'll, before we made the acquisition, we did an in-depth market study, understand what is our demographic, what is the current architectural style, how do they want to live. Hmm. And so we're going to make sure that our design guide our design guidelines that we impress upon our builders really meet that demand for today. And we'll continue to monitor the market. So if the market changes, we have to adapt and we have to target that market and deliver to what the consumer wants. And that's anything from um, square footage bands to architectural styles to colors to you name it. Um, and then also that that keen focus on sustainability and resiliency. Um, so we like to say our, our four DNA with our company is masterful design so we like to plan 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 again right um, she sounds like you came from west point yeah there you go <laughs> excellence and execution so whatever we whatever we show in a, in a rendering to our prospective buyers we want to make sure we absolutely deliver on that promise um building for the future so we don't like to just build an a for a day and that's that focus on sustainability and resiliency and then last is being true creators of culture and, w- and whether that's in a suburban context or an urban context but how do we make those place making experiences for our residents to come together and enjoy their lives that can be something as simple as parks and trails and amenity centers or that can be into a little bit more of the built environment from our commercial setting the restaurants and the retail and entertainment right. that we have to offer what um, can you go down that one for a, a moment? Um, again, without giving away any trade secrets, is there any unique elements or amenities that you th- guys think, you know, this is such a large thing, whether it's in the phased approach or the macro approach, Heath, is there anything unique that you can talk about that's going to be non-typical from either the Woodlands, Summerlin, or what you guys have learned through your own experiences? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, again, that dedication open space is paramount, okay. making sure that we have parks and trails. Um, that's something that's going to always be a focus on us, on ours. Uh, having best-in-class amenities. So if we, the amenity center that we bring to bear in the first phase is going to out, you know, it's really going to top our rivals when it's on the ground, and you'll be able to see that. Um, and I like to talk about um, other amenities. So as we think about not just parks and playgrounds and trails and pools and things of that nature, which most people put in the amenity class, right. um, but when we bring this to market, you know, amenity for our residents, they want to really experience that live-work play. Um, so part of that live obviously is the houses work if you look at our communities one of the big focuses for us was always to create one and a half jobs for every rooftop so if you look at the woodlands uh, today the woodlands we have more people that commute into the woodlands for work than out of the woodlands for work because we created our own central business district so there's going to be a focus as we're developing thirty-seven thousand acres most people say we're developing a small city so i do that right I'm no math major, but if I do the math, <laughs> you're neutral. Yeah. Because at, th- at, th- at three head per house yeah. and one and a half stain, right. you're neutral. Yeah, we get everybody to live there, you're, work you're there, buoyant. stay there. We're good. <laughs> the roads will not be packed. <laughs> well, there you go. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's keen for us. And as we look at, you know, how do we make sure that we're focused on a chi- you know, really achieving a target or a goal? Right. Our focus is lead certified communities. Uh, we're one of the first to have a large-scale community like the Woodlands and Bridgeland achieve pre-certification. We did that a few years ago. Uh, so as we're going into the planning of Terra Vallis, we're using that lead playbook, and right. we're going to make sure that it's a lead-certified community. And obviously that requires us working with the local municipalities like the city of Buckeye, uh, the county, the state, to make sure that we achieve that. Um, what we do within the homes, you know, obviously from a water conservation standpoint, we'll roll out, roll out a program that the builders have to meet, um, and then energy energy reduction Uh, for the residential side we'll focus on energy energy star on the commercial side we'll focus on lead and probably lead silver will be our kind of guiding principle for us if you don't mind me asking who's the primary uh, utility 
provider uh, yeah, out there? APS is our So you're, provider, I'm sure yeah, you're in bed with APS right. on all sorts of initiatives. Then. Yeah, absolutely. Are you, I have to ask, are you guys going to do a big solar farm or not? So, you know, we do have this property for 50 plus years. <laughs> and so we're going to try to make sure that we make use or some of that sustainable, land. Yeah. yeah. So we are, we are looking at uh, kind of large scale solar plays out there that could span the next 30, 40 years. I mean, the years. economics have to be right, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we absolutely. get that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't be, I mean, you're, I mean, Keith, it's obvious you guys, you take, you know, these, this is a BHAG. There's no question yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, but you're, you, you know, HHC is is proven they've done it before. So the cool part is is you guys have quivers or arrows in your quiver already to go, you know, effectuate this. So, uh, but again, my job is to sit here and ask you all those questions. <laughs> which I'm I'm sure by now, seeing your publicity, but uh, in the past, you're used to it. It's like water off the duck's back. So, um, let me go down on, on another avenue here, and that is, it, again, if if I'm someone listening or watching, going oh my God, how can they do this? How can they afford this? So uh, again, Heath, are you guys, is it all private? Are you backed by BlackRock? You know, <laughs> how, how do the economics all work out, yeah. you know, just in that in that whole macro scale? Yeah, I'd say, you know, as we went through the acquisition, um, again, the two previous owners, uh, we, the way we structured it uh, for the Trillium piece, the first 3,000 acres, so they stayed in the deal with us. So we there do have go. two partners. Okay. Um, so they're a 50-50 partner on the first 3,000 acres. On the balance of the property, 34,000 acres, uh, we did give JDM the opportunity to come back in at 50%. Um, they did come back in. They're about 12% ownership. Oh. Uh, so they're, they're in that deal with us as well. Um, we made the acquisition $600 million, 100% cash. Uh, you know, outside of what our partners contributed back to it. That was more uh, than one shoebox under his bed. <laughs> that's right. That's a couple couple briefcases that were there. A little better pay than you yeah. got in the military. Yeah. And then, you know, as we, we, as we look to really launch the development, obviously yeah. um, not all that's going to be cash. Yeah, uh, so we know we, that. So we yeah. will have some of that kind of leveraged with some of the, uh, you know, the, the, larger the banks ones, that yeah. we work with. Yeah. There comes a time when dreams become a reality when you see your vision materialize into a true work of art. And the only way to get there is to choose a general contractor who shares that same vision and knows how to bring it to life. At Blue Wave, we aren't so big that we've forgotten where we've come from. And we aren't so small that we can't care for your projects regardless of their size. When your vision deserves safety, perfection, timeliness, and expertise in order to become a reality, Trust Blue Wave to get it done right the first time. No, thanks for sharing that. Um, Boy, where else do I want to go? Uh, why I'm doing this is uh, why I'm looking to ask my next question because you got me thinking at 800 miles an hour. Um, feel free to just talk about anything else that you think is is relevant to to the audience. Yeah, no, I'd say you know it's great so far. We came into uh, this property in the city of Buckeye. City of Buckeye has been great to work with. You know, we've developed a really good relationship with them at all levels of their staff, city managers, even city council and the mayor. So uh, they're excited for us to be here. Uh, They've gotten to see what we've done in Summerlin. They've seen what we've done in the Woodlands. So they know the level of development and the quality that we'll bring to the city. Uh, So we like to look at it as a partnership. We're going to partner with with the city of Buckeye. We're going to partner with uh, the, the county and with the state. This is the largest master plan community in the state of Arizona, and it's going to be one of the largest in the nation. I was going to say, is it the largest yeah. in the nation? It's got to be. There's Irvine Ranch that was, I think, 50,000 acres. So it was a little bit bigger. They did uh, have mountain range in there that they, you know, donated as preserved land. So, yeah. yeah. Um, boy, I'm kind of lost here. <laughs> a lot of information, but. Uh, Let's go back to, to you. Uh, what, what about uh, fam? You know, you, you talked about your kids, and, your, and you didn't really mention your wife a, yeah. a little bit. But what do you do for fun? Yeah, so I mean, we're a huge sports family. Obviously, I grew up in sports. 
uh, both my brothers were i have two older brothers to begin with um we were a big baseball family both my brothers played baseball in college oh, wow. i chose to go play football um but sports, who, uh, sports who, are a passion who, who, who's smarter i think them because their bodies aren't as broken as mine <laughs> so i think it worked out a little bit better for them um but huge sports family so we love sports uh we're season ticket holders for the arizona cardinals we oh, go nice. watch the diamondbacks great to say the diamondbacks are doing great this year um we're going to get to a few hockey games and i grew up as a suns fan uh, so growing up we didn't have the diamondbacks we no. didn't have the cardinals when i was here um so now i've started to adopt those teams and really get get uh, get behind them but of course i grew up as a suns fan so it's good to be back here to watch the phoenix suns and they've been a, a great team these these last few years talk a little bit more I and mean, we talked about you and the and the development but we haven't really didn't spend any time on the howard hughes corporation proper yeah Oh, you guys kind of fly under the radar a little bit. A little bit. So, what what would you like to share about, like you know, the ethos behind the organization? Yeah. So, I'd, I mean, I'd like to share um, kind of our tagline. We say we develop premier master plan communities and commercial properties from Wall Street to Waikiki. Uh, so, we do have uh, the Seaport District in New York, beautiful backdrop of the Brooklyn Bridge. And again, one thing that separates us, we recently uh, created a new joint venture with. John George, he's a renowned chef, and so we opened up the tin building. Mm-hmm. So we're actually owners and operators of that big food hall in New York. Plus, we own all the property out there. Um, so that's another venture <laughs> like, that we got I into. Like that little caveat, <laughs> and we own it all. Yes. Yeah, so we'll we'll take that concept and we'll start to roll that out across our portfolio. So as we look at the woodlands, we look at Summerlin that are more developed properties. How do we bring these restaurant concepts to bear uh, within those communities? Uh, downtown columbia maryland uh, right now we own the balance of downtown so that's a big commercial multifamily play for us not not a big residential component uh, the three mesh plans we talked about in houston um, those are still operational in the woodlands we probably have 700 net acres left to develop in the woodlands so that's going to take a little while to get through that um, and then of course we got summerlin las vegas where i talked about we have about 5,000 net acres to develop in summerlin so i didn't realize there was that much decades. left yeah, yeah plenty of time left to go in Summerlin and then Hawaii Ward Village Hawaii our primary business out there is retail office and condos do you have anything international on the portfolio we don't okay no not at the moment and then so are those all broke broken down into regions or offices like you're in charge of this yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah each one of them is a region so okay. we have the New York region they have the uh, Columbia region Houston Phoenix Summerlin and then Hawaii okay got it yep okay and uh, are you public private we are we are publicly traded okay so that's what i thought check out our stock you'll see how we're doing <laughs> <laughs> if you he's know. doing his job <laughs> real estate is tough to be publicly traded because i was gonna say you know because because we develop land if you're just a a commercial owner it's a little bit yeah. easier but it's, it's harder for analysts to really put value on our stock because we sell land uh, so it's it's been a long-term educational process for them but um you know our our shareholders uh, are really really focused on the vision and the long-term yeah. play and want to be long-term owners of uh, the company so it's been good what um you know i always talk about human capital on this show and so just curious within your organization speaking of 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 emily in the background here being an intern what um what are you guys doing with any of the schools as far as like your do you have internships do you Absolutely. have uh and, and what kind of different um, attributes are you looking for in people? Uh, you know, you know what I mean by that. I mean, you're you're obviously a smart guy. Uh, not only the degrees, but kind of the people skills as well. Yeah, so we're very focused on um, making sure that we're engaged. Obviously, we're developing communities. So one thing that we're always engaged in on how do we how do we make sure that we attract and retain talent, and we do that early on. And part of that's our our mentorship program, our internship programs that we run. Okay. Uh, so we bring in you know roughly twenty to twenty five interns every summer. Uh, they get to spend time at our corporate office. They get to get out to the regions. They get really immersed into everything that Howard Hughes does. Um, so coming into the Phoenix market, I got engaged with with right now ASU. Make sure say, that yeah. we're on their radar. Uh, they'll probably be brought into the fold next year uh, for our internship program. Um, so that that would bring a few of the ASU uh, students out to, to the Houston market, our corporate office. They get to spend time there. Obviously, they get to spend some time probably with uh, us here in the region. So that's that's one big focus of ours. Um, Is there, if I can interrupt you, with the 
with the grand scale of this, mm-hmm. is there even something where Michael Crow and you guys are talking about anything wacky out there? Yeah, we'd we'd love for that to happen. So again, as whether we it's look a polytechnic at, universe, you know, mm-hmm. you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah. If you look at if, whether you look at Summerlin or you look at the Woodlands, I just like to talk about those too yeah. because they're so vast. Uh, we offer from pre-K all the way through advanced degrees in the Woodlands right now. Um, so again, and that's both from a private school to charter schools to conventional, to public, conventional yeah. public schools. We like to offer everything. What we want our residents to do to have choice. And we also want to make sure that we can develop an educated workforce within our communities uh, because that's going to be our future of our community. They're going to be the ones that our businesses, we create one and a half jobs for every rooftop. That's who they want to hire. Yeah. So as we think about advanced education, how do we partner with community colleges? How do we partner with, it, with universities? And so we have a history of doing that um, in our communities. Um, I know what I forgot to ask earlier is on this show, Heath, we try to focus a lot on emerging technologies and kind of disruption, if yeah. you will. Um, what can you speak to as far as how, even if it's in the sales process, the development process, any of the processes out there, what emerging technologies do you see being uh, applied to what you guys are going to do with Terravalis? Yeah, so we, we always think it's important. We like to say we like to be on the cutting edge of technology. Not the bleeding. Not the bleeding edge, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to be on that side. I'm in that, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're backed by a bunch of VC, yeah, right? Yeah, you can just throw some money at it. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, when we when we look at things from a planning standpoint, obviously we start planning for infrastructure. And as people talk or think about smart cities, if we asked me, you, and Emily in the room, we'd probably yeah. have three different definitions, right? So, but it's working with the right consultants to understand, yeah. you know, what, what do we need to bring into these future cities to make them the most efficient, most effective, and to really impact people's lives. So when we think about uh, vehicular mobility, right? We're going to look at things as far as sensors. How do we make sure yeah. that we can move traffic flow through our community uh, as efficiently as possible? And by doing that, you're reducing the carbon footprint because you're not getting those emissions into the air. Um, when we think about other smart technology, I mean, that's, street, that's traffic signals and sensors, but think about streetlights. How do we make sure that streetlights can help provide a level of data, a level of safety or security, if you will, um, but also that, that level of lighting. So maybe you don't need them at 100% lighting. Maybe they drop down and then only when motion comes through that picks that up. Um, making sure that as we have residents that continue to want to work from home, I don't know that that's going to ever 100% go away, uh, but making sure that we have the bandwidth there, right? So as we work with um, telecommunication companies, making sure that from the fiber network that that's redundant, we bring into the community at the top speeds, and we look at 5G or what's the next um, yeah, thing that comes, you know, maybe it's satellites. So we're already in conversations with people like that to make sure we're out there on the cutting edge. And then we already talked about water conservation, making sure we're out in front of that. Um, from everything we do and that just continues going on and on and on through this evolutionary process as we build the community is there um is any of the the space allocated for we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how phoenix is turning into you know the new silicon valley yeah um you know with tsmc and everything that's going on on the north side what will there be any of that ancillary type uh, stuff out in this development we absolutely think there will. I mean, obviously, with I-11 coming through the property and the future 505. Especially with Vegas. And yeah, yeah, that becomes a great location for anything from advanced manufacturing to you name it. Got it. Uh, so a lot of that property, I won't say will be reserved, but we're targeting that for how do we create jobs? Flex, how do we or that? grow into that. Right. Like I said, on a 50-year plan, you guys, I'm yeah, sure. Got like WTF. <laughs> we don't know. Right. We've got plenty of time. Yeah. And like I said, change is constant, right? So we have to evolve and change with the time. All right, my friend, what haven't I asked you? Man, I don't know. We've, we've hit a lot of the highlights already. What, um, how often are you out in the public being the ambassador of this, of this thing? Man, I'd say every day. Um, the great thing is... Thanks for coming, by the yeah, way. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. I got to come uh, back to the state that I grew up in. Right. Have the largest project in the state of Arizona, one of the largest ones in the nation. Kind of cool so that's to throw on the really resume. Really cool, right? Really cool to grow up in Arizona is, and come back and have What does your dad do? Uh, <laughs> you know, he's just building a new city. Yeah. I hope my kids think I'm cool. But, um, we'll but, ask them. Yeah, well, you have to ask them, <laughs> see where they come in on that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're developing – for us, we're developing a legacy, right? Yeah. Uh, this is the first large-scale, what I'd say, greenfield property that we get to develop. Um, here in the state of Arizona. So that's that's really cool. It's, it's legacy. Um, the other thing that kind of makes us different is 
our employees um, live in our communities. So they become part of that fabric of the community. And, and we think that's so important. We give all of our employees three volunteer days um, in addition to their, their PTO. So they can go out and volunteer for non-charitable organizations so they can actually impact uh, the overall community. Uh, we wanna make sure that they're part of that. And that's very important to us. Um, again, coming from Houston, we, we were involved and touched over 130 charities in the Houston market through volunteerism or charitable contributions. And we've already launched that here. We're probably connected with about 10 different charitable organizations that we're volunteering with or making donations to. So it's it's huge. Not to patronize you, but if if I connect the dots here, correct me if I'm wrong, Heath, but Houston is now almost tighter ahead of Chicago as the third biggest metroplex in the nation. Yeah. Let's be honest, that wouldn't have happened without the Woodlands. (laughs) No. Right? Yeah. I mean, everyone knows that. So... I mean, not that not that numbers are a race, but considering what's happening in, in Phoenix, we'd be naive and blind to what's happening with the exodus of yeah. all these things and what what the valley ha- is turning into. And I, I I've said this and I'll say it again: is our biggest <laughs> obstacle of water. Mm-hmm. I think with technology and just working harder and smarter, we'll crack that code. I think we're cracking it every day. Yeah. You know, so I I don't see that Phoenix is going to be gr- slowing down anytime soon. Is, uh, I, th- I think we're progressive. I think we can uh, you know, overcome a lot of these things. And, I, you know, you guys are going to be a huge catalyst in this. You're the biggest placeholder now. So it's it, – in other words, I don't think it's scary. I think it's kind of exciting that, that you, you you and all of us t- together in kind of this, this large macro format, we're either part of the solution or we're part of the problem. And right. I'll, I'll take door number one, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, talk about growth. I mean, a big focus on growth is people – um, want to have a better quality of life. They do. So they're going to move places where that's offered. Um, so places like the Woodlands, Texas. It was ranked number one by Niche.com two years in a row. Data does a lot. one place to, li- to live. Yeah. Uh, so we want to have that same impact here in Arizona. You know, we're, again, inviting 300,000 people to live into our community. So we want to make sure we provide them a good quality of life. Everyone email your personal list to Heath, though. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's right. Send them. We're ready. Now, will you uh, – I know one other question. Once this gets have – you, have you officially started? Yeah, we have. Oh, I know, yeah, I, yeah. but i got to ask the question because a lot of people <laughs> don't even know because they don't get over there. Right. Um, do you have – back to that employee thing, will you then have like a little – you know what I mean? Almost like a city in itself with right. as far as your st- your staff, the builders yeah. and the people, the, all the construction, all the uh, consultants. I assume you're, you're kind of forming almost like a city within the city out there just for that. Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll start quickly. I set up our office here in Scottsdale initially. Right. Um, as we really start to develop critical mass out there, uh, we'll move our team out there. Okay. We'll, we'll build our own office. And, of course, all the other amenities as far as shopping, retail, um, and all that stuff will come online. Uh, so we will really start to effectuate that development of a small city. Cool. Um, so it's exciting. Well, thanks again, Heath. Uh, yeah. Just really appreciate coming in and sharing all the little tidbits about this. And and uh, go get them and Godspeed. <laughs> yeah, you bet, JJ. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Mac and Blue Show, brought to you by Blue Wave General Contracting. Be sure to subscribe to the Mac and Blue podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow JJ Levensky on LinkedIn and Instagram. Tune in every Monday 